for you. Um, I'm just curious. I wonder how many of us have ever met somebody or known somebody and you've either thought or said out loud, that person needs some professional help. Come on, how many of us have ever, ever said or thought something like that? All right? Good. Um, how many are, are thinking of that about the person next to you? No, don't answer that. Don't answer that. Um, now, I wonder, though, how many of us, and you may, this may make you feel uncomfortable. i just let you know I'm going to raise my hand because it's true of me. I'm just curious about how many of us this morning maybe have ever uh, spent time in a professional counselor's office. A couple of us. Hey, good for you. All right. Good for you. But notice the number of us who think other people need counseling is much greater than the number of people who have actually been counseling. I think there might be a little disconnect. But we all need some help. We've got problems. We've got issues, right? And I think with us Christians, you know, one, we're just honest. We know we got problems. That's maybe the reason we're here. I think sometimes we're here because we're not all there. You know, I mean, we've, we've got stuff to deal with. The, um, the Lord Jesus in John 16, actually in 14 through 16, speaks about the Holy Spirit as a counselor, a counselor. Now, your version might have a different word. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But what does that mean? You know, when I use the word counselor and the Holy Spirit in one sentence, I mean, does that to some of us think, well, you know, God must be some cosmic therapist in the sky? It's not what it is. But what does it mean? What does it mean? And if the Holy Spirit is a divine counselor for us, how can he help me? How can he help you? And how will I be different after spending time in the Holy Spirit's counseling office? And that's some of the questions that we're going to look at this morning. Before we do, though, would you bow your heads and pray with me as we ask the Lord to, to bless us? Lord, would you open your word to us and speak to our hearts? We, we need you this morning like we've never needed you before. Holy Spirit, um, fall afresh on us this morning. Reveal truth. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. I've often wondered... You know, on the inside looking out, why so many people have a hard time coming to faith in Jesus Christ? I, I, why wouldn't anybody? Why wouldn't anybody do that? And, you know, if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, it's kind of harder to see, I think, the validity in those reasons. Because we know how much Jesus loves us and we know how much he transforms us and all of that. But I think there's some reasons why people have a problem with Christianity. I think one of them is maybe possibly a lack of understanding. Some people just don't know, or they're, they're hung up on some theological issue, or they don't really know the truth of Christianity and, and the, the truth of the gospel. Maybe people know the truth, but they don't believe it. They might think Christianity is just another way, you know, uh, just as equal as all the other religious philosophies in the world. For some, it might be the cost. You know, there's something that they think, well, if I, you know, I become a Christian, I'm going to have to, you know... It's going to cost me something, or I'm going to have to give up something pleasurable that I, that I want to keep. I think there's another issue, though, and it maybe even applies to many of us in the room. And that is one of, of, of confidence, maybe even being overwhelmed. Because when we think about the standard that Christ set, 
He put the bar just a little high, don't you think? Perfection is, you know, a bit tough to achieve. Rising from the dead, never sinning, walking on water. And he says things like, greater works will you do. And I think, wait a minute. That's a huge standard. You know, last week when we spoke about the fruit of the Spirit, maybe some of us had thought, you know, my character is so far from where it should be that it seems almost completely unattainable. And for some of us, the thought of really following Christ is overwhelming. Overwhelmed. I think that is a word that describes the apostles during the night in which Jesus is preparing them for his departure, his crucifixion. And that's what we're seeing in chapters 13 of John's gospel through chapter 17, where Jesus is counseling his disciples about what is to come and how he's going to take care of them. And what they can expect. And you can imagine the overwhelming, overwhelming nature of this moment because he has just told them some amazing things. He says, I'm going away. And if you were the disciples, I think that would be a big problem. Because if he's going away, how will life ever have meaning without Jesus? If you've seen what you've seen for those three years, how could life ever? I mean, how do you top that? Feeding five, I mean, come on. And then Jesus said things like, you're going to become extremely fruitful for God. There's a problem. How could we do that, Jesus, if you're not with us? If you're leaving? How could, he says, you'll do greater works than these. You've got to be kidding me. How can we do anything of importance or power without you? And then he says, obey my commands. Well, sure, Jesus, that'd be great if you were staying around to give us a few. How are we going to do that? And then Jesus responds to his overwhelmed disciples in verse 7. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. If you have your Bible open, would you underline that sentence? It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said that the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you'll see me. I think when they heard this, Jesus rocked their world. And 
I believe this morning Jesus wants to rock yours as well. This isn't just one of those passages where you can just read it and go, well, that's interesting news. That's curious. And then, you know, open my daily bread and start reading something encouraging. I don't know nothing against that, but this is one of those things. It's like, wait a minute, I just tried to drink from a fire hose. Here's the principle that Jesus is saying. He's saying that in the Holy Spirit, Jesus is giving his disciples not just a map to follow, but a counselor to guide them. You know, before the invention of GPS, we had this high-tech device called a roadmap. If you thought of if you thought texting and driving was dangerous, try map reading and driving. And that'll kill you. And if it doesn't kill you, it might kill your marriage. I think yeah, it's when the the helpful spouse is trying to, you know, read the map and the uh, know-it-all spouse is driving. Um I think divorce lawyers actually gave those out for free. But what if there's a friend in the back seat and all that confusion? And he says, look, I know the way. I've been there. Just, just listen. I'll get, us, I'll get us where we need to go. The fight stops. All we've got to do now is listen and pay attention. The Holy Spirit knows the way. And to overwhelm disciples, Jesus said that just as I have been your guide these last three years, in four, chapter 14 and verse 16, he says, the Father will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And then he makes this promise to them. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. Now, when Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a counselor, This highlights a foundational truth. And it's this, that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not some impersonal force or power. See, he didn't say the Holy Spirit is going to be an electrical charge where you can push buttons and make things happen. No, he said he's a counselor. Some versions say he's a helper. He's a comforter. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. We're peering now into one of the mysteries of the universe, one that I don't think we'll ever understand this side of heaven. How Jesus can now ascend to the throne of the Father, and God the Holy Spirit will come and be in and on and around and through a human life because of faith in Jesus Christ. And notice that this divine counselor that Jesus is talking about is someone whom Jesus has complete and total confidence in. Okay, look at this. He says, this is a stunning statement. Verse 7, I had you underline it. He says, it is for your good that I am going away. Can you imagine them saying, him saying that to the disciples in that moment? Hey, I'm going to the cross, but you know what? It's good for you that I go away because something better is coming. What could top the last three years? I can only imagine what they must have been thinking at that time. But this is a profound statement. Because Jesus, after pouring himself into these 12 men for three years, men that he dearly loved, he said basically this, that when I'm gone, the Holy Spirit is going to come. You'll be better off than you are right now. Really? Why did he say that? You know why? Because Jesus knew the power of the Holy Spirit. 
that they were about to understand. He knew something they did not. Have you ever noticed that Jesus knows things that we don't? <laughs> and so the first thing here is this, if you're keeping notes, that he is powerful. He is powerful. One of my favorite verses, Acts 1.8, says, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power. You see, I think that in many ways is the difference between a religious person and a follower of Jesus Christ who's baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and that is power. Not perfection, necessarily, but power. The ability to walk out of the past. The ability to engage life at a completely different level. Now, when I use the word power and the Holy Spirit in the same sentence, some of us, well, if you come from a traditional background, um, you might get a little nervous, like, oh, pastor's going to get wacky and weird today. It's not going to happen, but I do want to say this. Some of the most profound experiences of the Holy Spirit have to the untrained observer seemed very wacky and weird. Burning bush come to mind? What's that? Tongues of fire? Lepers cleansed? I mean, let's just think about it for just a minute. But then, on the other hand, some of us lifelong Pentecostals, we think, all right, he's talking about the fireworks. Let's go. This morning when I'm talking about power, I understand, and I believe all of that, and I want all of the dimensions of power, but I believe that to this morning, the, the power in the context of John 16 has something more fundamental in mind, something more organic, something more personal for us. Here's what I mean. Have you ever thought, as you read the, the New Testament, have you ever thought this, man, if I had only been there, if only I could have fed the 5,000. If only I, only if it was my brother Lazarus who'd come out of the tomb. You know, I got to, you know, lay him there and I saw him, you know, die and watch him get sick. And then saw Jesus say, hey, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. If I could have seen Jesus walk on water, heal the sick, heal the blind, turn water into wine. If I could have just seen that, if I could have tasted it. I'll bet that would be like Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, 1932. It's a very expensive wine, by the way. I might be, you might be ashamed that your pastor knows that. And you think, oh, if only I had been there. And Jesus is saying basically this. He's saying, look, if you got into a time machine and went back to the first century and saw all the fireworks, it would pale in comparison to what I'm about to do when I send the Holy Spirit to come and to be in your life. That is saying something. It is better that I go away. It is a good thing. And that's why he could confidently say, you'll do greater works. You'll have more fruit. He said, you, know, you think you're overwhelmed not right now, boys? You won't be when the Holy Spirit comes. And you think, well, man, how could I have ever had the fruit of the Spirit in my life? How can I have the character that we talked about last week when we talked about the fruit of the vine and the vine and the branches? How, how can we ever have that develop? How can we experience the works of Christ? Here's the answer. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live at a level which is humanly impossible. It's humanly impossible. It's only possible 
through the power of the Spirit on a life. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear a promise like that, a question comes to mind. Because I compare that promise with my present situation, my present condition, my present amount of faith, the amount of fruit in my life. And I compare that to the potential that Jesus is talking about. And I, I'm a little disturbed because here's what it means to me. It means that I have barely touched the surface of what God wants to do in and through my life. Just barely come close to even maybe a fraction of 1% of what is possible and what He wants to do in a life that is fully yield to the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. And so if I'm not experiencing an increase in, in His power in my life, then could it be that there is something standing in the way? Something resisting the release of that power. What could it be? If I asked you, do you want that kind of power? Do you want that kind of power of God in your life? I think most of us would say, yeah, of course. I mean, we like power. I do. I love power, especially if it's some impersonal electrical force that I can control when I push a button. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a person. He's talking about a counselor. The question really is, do you want his counsel? Because if you want his power, we need to submit to his counsel. I wonder, how, who do you normally seek for counsel? You know, when you've got stuff going on, you've got problems, maybe you bring it to a friend or a family member or whatever. Some of us don't like to talk about feelings and things like that. And uh, There was a, a, a kind of a cynical guy I heard recently. He said, yeah, I never tell my problems to anyone because 80% uh, of the people don't care that I have any problems and the other 20% are just glad that I've got them. <laughs> and I thought, I've met those people. But is the Holy Spirit just someone that we tell our problems to, like a cosmic bartender? Doesn't sound very powerful, does it? You see, if we're ever going to understand the power of the Holy Spirit, we must understand first the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And that's the second thing on your notes. Because we'll never get much out of His counseling unless we know what He wants, unless we know what His goal is, what His purpose is. And here it is in verse 14. He says, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. What's that mean? Well, now I want to diagnose that word counselor. It's a key word here. In the Greek, it's the word parakletos, parakletos, or paraclete. And it's two, two words combined, para and kaleo. And para means to come alongside, to assist. Kaleo means to call attention to the truth and to exhort. And this word in the Greek is so difficult to translate that you'll see tons of different words to try to describe what this means. 
But what it means is that he's not just a teacher with information. He is not just one who sympathizes with us saying, oh, you know, poor baby. They're there. But he has truth and he does sympathize with our weakness. We know those are scriptural truths. But here's his his purpose. He comes alongside and he makes truth real. He makes truth real to you. You see, before the cross, before the Holy Spirit was given, the apostles had truth. But they didn't get the truth. They didn't get it. You know, it's interesting. There have been people over the years uh, who would come up to me after service. Let me just back up. There have also been people in over the years where as a pastor, I think, man, that person seems stuck in spiritual neutral. And, you know, I I would pray for them that they would, you know, they would have a a touch of God or that the the truth would come through. And it just didn't seem to be a lot of life happening, at least not yet. And then one day, maybe that person would come up after service. Out of the blue, maybe even tears coming down their eyes and saying, Pastor, what you said today, I have never heard that before. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I've said that every day for the last 10 years. And I have every Sunday for the last 10 years. What's going on? Was I just finally preaching a decent sermon? Probably that wasn't the issue. Sermon wasn't the issue. Was it that the Holy Spirit that day finally showed up? No, he shows up here every week. What was going on? That day, for whatever reason, that person... The truth became real to them. Maybe they were desperate. Maybe they were finally honestly seeking for something. But that day, the counselor made the truth so real to them that it transformed and changed them as a person. They became a better husband. They learned how to love. They learned how to forgive. Whatever. Fill in the blank. See, here's the difference between a mechanical religious person and an on-fire Christian. Here it is. It's not how much truth we know, but how much truth is real to us. You know, if you ask the average person, believer or not, Christian or non-believer, most people believe in some kind of a heaven. And most people believe that they're going to go there or they want to go there. But it's not real to them. You know why? Because if it was real, we would be the most generous, most fearless people on the planet. Most people believe in a creator to whom they owe their very existence, but it's not real to them. If it was, they would be overcome with worship and passionately pray to the God who created them. Most people believe in a loving God. But God's love isn't real to them. You see, if you believed the love of God, then why would would you always feel, you know, slighted or snubbed and insulted and feeling condemned? Why? Because his love isn't real to you. Why would you worry so much? Well, it's because the the wisdom of God hasn't become real to you. If a parent tells a child in so many ways the hurtful things like just you're not worth you're, you're worthless. That person as an adult comes into my office and says, I feel worthless. But I know the biblical truth is that you're incredibly valuable to God. And I can point to Scripture, verse, and everything and say, you're of incredible value. The problem is, it doesn't feel true. 
until the Holy Spirit comes and does His work. Here's the problem. I love what Pastor Tim Keller says. He says it this way. He says, the problem is that the things that are unreal seem real to us. And the things that are real, they seem unreal. See, that's, that's the world's delusion. Outside these walls, most of the world is pursuing what is unreal, but they think it's real. And someday they're going to find out that it was all a lie. How do we change that? Well, last week we saw that spiritual fruit doesn't grow by accident. And if you want God to make truth real to you, if you want His divine counsel, then visit the counselor during visiting hours. And he has very long ones. And most of us know where his office is. We've probably even read his book. But for some, church is a once a month habit at best. Pray only when you're in trouble. Uh, you go to the Bible for advice only when all other advice fails. Maybe you don't even have a Christian, deep Christian friendship, and the idea of going to a life group or a small group terrifies you. Remember that person I told you just a few minutes ago that came up to me after service and said, Oh, I got it. I've noticed a pattern with that person because I've seen that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. I've been that person hundreds and hundreds of times. The pattern is this. That they got to that place of, oh, I get it. Nearly always after taking simple faith steps like the ones I've just described. It's one of the reasons I love and I'm so excited about this whole concept of 40 days in the Word. Because it's, it's people making a six-week commitment to the church to read and study God's Word and to attend a life group. Do you know what those things are? Those things are divine counseling sessions. An intensive, if you will. But I suggest if that you'd prefer to stay stuck in spiritual neutral, don't do any of those things. But if you want to experience the Holy Spirit's power to make truth so real to you that it changes your life, then I think 40 days in the Word is going to be for you and it's going to be a life-changing experience. Here's why. Because the Holy Spirit has a unique counseling method. A very unique counseling method. Before I tell you what that is, I want us to just sort of understand what the world counsels us about. There's the traditionalist method. Traditional culture says you'll, you'll know who you are by fulfilling your roles and duties. You know, join the, join the tribe. Now, to a, to a modern person or a postmodern person, this seems very mechanical and robotic. In the modern culture... The, uh, the whole idea was, uh, you know, you want to find yourself, just look inside. Follow your dreams, your desires. And to the traditionalist, this seems very childish. And if you're under 40, which we refer to often as the postmodern, that 
culture now says this, that you won't be happy until you realize that there's really no self to find. Don't try to find yourself, just define yourself. Freedom isn't in finding yourself, it's just doing what works. And there's a problem with that. You know what? It leaves us very fragmented and directionless. Do you know what Christianity says? Christianity says this. You won't find yourself in your roles, your feelings, or what works. You'll find yourself in Christ. That's how we'll find ourselves. We'll find ourselves in Christ. Because in chapter 15 and verse 26, Jesus said, When the Counselor comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father... He will testify about me. Do you catch the Holy Spirit's role here? Here it is. This is his counseling method. He shows you Jesus. He shows you Jesus. This week, I had an interesting conversation with a good friend, um, K.J. Ferris. He was going to play bass today and... I don't know if he made it back in or not. He's not feeling really good. And uh, KJ and I were having lunch, and uh, he said something which was so basic and profound. I said, how you doing? He says, you know what? This week I've just been overwhelmed. I said, about what? He says, I'm overwhelmed with the size and the majesty of God and how small I am in comparison. He didn't stop there. He went on. And he says, you know what's surprising? You'd think that would make me feel small and insignificant. But it doesn't. He said, it gives me great comfort. Why? Why would he feel that way? You see, something that had seemed unreal, became real. That significance never comes through self-reliance, but on total dependence on God through His Holy Spirit. And so when you feel small, the Holy Spirit shows you the magnificence of Jesus. When you're overwhelmed with life, the Holy Spirit shows you the Jesus who calmed the storm. When you're desperate for wisdom, the Holy Spirit sends you to Jesus, the divine mentor, the teacher who who has incredible wisdom. And we diagnose the parables and we build our house on a rock, not the sand. And when you feel insecure about God's love for you, when those feelings of unworthiness come from, from hell, by the way, from the pit, that say we're not worthy. And when we can't really understand the depths of God's love, the Holy Spirit comes and He points us to the cross. And He says, you see my bleeding son up there for you? And He makes it real to us. And what was unreal becomes real. And you know it's real because when you come to terms with what Jesus did for you on the cross, you weep. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He shows you Jesus. He shows you Jesus. And these are the results that he gets. Conviction and attraction. I don't have time to go through the the verses particularly. 
But the Holy Spirit comes and convicts you of your need for Jesus. That word conviction doesn't mean that it makes you feel, he makes you feel bad about something. What it does, it means that he's convincing you of your need for Jesus. And I think that was what KG might have been expressing even in that conversation that we had. And, 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 I, so, and I so identified with it. And I, and I love that. So Holy Spirit coming and saying, you need Jesus, Chad. You need Jesus. All of us, we need Jesus. And he points us to Jesus. He convicts us about that. And then he attracts us to the beauty and the righteousness of Jesus. And so we don't look at Jesus and say, man, I could never measure up. We just say, I just feel so built up when I look up. Wow. That is the power of the Holy Spirit coming in a life. He's going to lead you to Jesus. And this morning, I wonder, for some of us, have you been stuck in spiritual neutral? I believe that the Lord wants to come and to break those log jams to get you into first gear, second gear, third gear. But we need to come to Him in such a way where we're hungering and thirsting for what He wants to serve. You see, he is a guide. But he says this. He says, you know what? Forget what you think you know about where you're heading. And let me navigate. It's not going to be bump free. But walking with Jesus in the power of the Spirit is the best trip you're ever going to take. Nothing compares to the adventure of following the direction of the Holy Spirit, the Counselor who says, come on, let's go. Jesus is there. We're going there. Let's go together. Amen? Holy Spirit, would you just this morning just profoundly... Make your truth real to us. Lord, where we've been stuck, where there is a log jam, where there is something in the way, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you come right now and give us the faith to just put that thing aside, to break through it, to see the, the chainsaw just cut right through it. And Holy Spirit, we invite you now to do that. So, Lord, we've come to you. We need you nothing else. Nothing else. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us?